Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. Last week here on Autism Stories, I spoke with Danny, the punk rock autistic. And on today's episode, we will have part two of that conversation in which Danny discusses the intersection of philosophy and late diagnosis of autism, as well as we talk about authentic and direct communication for autistics. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. I'm full of spoons today, so if you if you wanted to cut it now, that's fine. But if you had anything else you were curious about, I'm open to, to keep going. Uh, I, I guess I had one other question then, because we were talking about it. philosophy. And, mm -hmm. you know, like some of those basic questions of philosophy. Who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? All those types of things. I'm, I'm curious if you thought about this at all in terms of many of us that learn that, about our autism later in life. Um, mm -hmm. We also um, are interested in things like philosophy. And I'm just mm -hmm. wondering, do you see a connection between those two? Yeah. I mean, philosophy and any sort of religion or spiritual spirituality or you know ancient culture religion is a western term right it's just something that is associated to like we use it in the sense of like separating a culture from their belief structure when for a lot of cultures for you know millennia it wasn't religion it was their culture it was who they were fundamentally it wasn't a separate thing that was like juxtaposed in their culture whereas in the west it has been right it's been a thing that's been forced into people Whereas, you know, if you look at anywhere in the world, it's just been a part of every the individual and the collective's identity of, of a belief, right? And I think that for autistic people, especially with like philosophy and spirituality and belief structures, that if you look at those cultures that had these structures of, of, of belief, it wasn't based in faith, it wasn't based in dogma, it wasn't based in social instruction, it was based in identity and, and inclusion and part of like who they were fundamentally. There was, it was inseparable from every single factor of their their being, right, on an individual and a collective level. I mean, it's like when, when you know, colonizers first came to Asia and they met people and they're like, oh, you're Buddhists, and they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, they didn't, they didn't have that concept, right? That term is a very institutionalized identity, and but when you go to the these nations where this was more prevalent, it was just, it was their culture. That's why, you know, there's so many different forms of Buddhism, is because it, it adapted and adhered to their culture, but the fundamental was the same. My point with that is that in our society, we are very manipulated and conditioned into certain structures of belief and dogma and i don't want to just talk about religion i just mean you know systemically and you know racism capitalism you know all these isms are forced into and things and things like gender and you know hierarchy and hegemony they're they're social constructs right they're completely fabricated and i think that autistic people have a very profound ability to see through the bs I think that 
when things are not real and we we kind of see like oh this is make-believe this isn't like like for for a lot of autistic people it's why so many of us are genderqueer is because we see gender as like this socially constructed thing that just doesn't really actually have a basis in reality so we some of us may like firmly believe like not believe but experience like a like a particular thing right and then others may be like i don't experience any of this like this doesn't seem fundamental in objectivity for us and I think that expands to a philosophical level where the things that we've been led to believe about the world around us, and I don't mean like critical science because I'm, you know, very, very, very pro-science, but I mean like as far as like institutionally and, and systemically, is that that the further you kind of follow that rabbit hole, the more things start to unravel and that hunger of like knowing like, oh, this isn't real. This isn't like what I thought it was becomes and ingrained in us is it is it like that for you like would you say like i know for me it, that it, it, i think it's directly correlated with being autistic definitely and i think it's even like with like social things like like mm-hmm. recently someone apologized to me for doing something and the apology and i don't know if this is i the apology there was no curiosity of why i was upset so, mm. So mm-hmm. it was just like they came, they just apologized for something. Like it was just kind of like the words. And it wasn't like, like for me, every, my number one mm-hmm. way to communicate is based on energy. So the, it was, there was just no energy from those words and made me believe that like this was like, like you said, like it was real. Yeah. No, I had a lot of experiences like that as well, where I think communication it's authentic and direct communication is so important for us as autistic people, but it's more than just out of like accommodation and convenience and out of just like us being able to like fundamentally understand what that person is explaining. But also when someone apologizes to me, right? It's, I don't really like it when people apologize. I, cause I, I feel that it is a, a kind of a knee jerk reaction. It's like, is that, is that apology coming from, an acknowledgement of of a problem cause that hurt that person's feelings, or is it a reaction to this like socially conditioned like get out of jail free card? Where an apology to me is action, not words. Like I want to see an experience that change of that acknowledgement. Like how oh, this person did something wrong. I want them to acknowledge and, uh, accountability, and then take that accountability and have that accountability and that acknowledgement of, of the pain that caused as being then a, a catalyst for change. And then I'd be like, okay, cool. I, you're forgiven. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely can see that with apologies. Like, uh, it's tough for, for me to ever really believe that they're, they're real. Like you said. Yeah. I think that also for me, also comes from traumatic experiences of being, you know, when I was younger, being hurt. And then I think we have a, an issue and this might, I don't think it's just neurotypical people who do this, but I think that there's definitely a lot majority of it being more of a neurotypical prone sort of thing is this, if something occurs that upsets somebody and you provide criticism for that upset and explanation explanation 
like, you know, from me being in years of therapy is something I've learned of like I statements like, hey, when I feel this way, when you do this mm-hmm. and is a very direct, very communicative way and healthy way of explaining like I'm upset because of this. This is what I want. These are my needs. Can we please acknowledge that without, you know, anger and explicitivity and just being like direct and, and compassionate for each other in that moment. But if you provide that to somebody and then they in turn say a deflection and say, well, you did this, this is why I did this, or like it provided justification isn't, isn't acknowledging that you hurt the other person. It's being like, I don't, I don't want to listen and I'm pointing it back at you. And I feel that that might be a, a categorical difference between autistic people and, and non-autistic people. That really bothers me. It's something that I notice all the time. Ooh. And it, it's weird. It kind of goes, all this stuff is interconnected, but it does kind of connect on a philosophical level that like, definitely, you know, words are meaningless without action, right? Like mm. they don't, they don't mean anything. And philosophy is meaningless without experience. You know, we can talk about how, how much like, our perspective of self is socially conditioned and that the I doesn't exist and that, you know, it's all a fundamental reaction and mirror of the world around us. But like, that doesn't mean anything unless you actually like have that critical firsthand personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Words are often meaningless and it's, it's, and it's interesting how we, so like you were talking about supporting non-speakers before which is interesting because we're so focused on this one form of communication with you know like mouth words and spoken language but so often i feel like that's so much there's so much lacking in that communication to truly express what is happening in in a situation so i won't name any names but i you know out of protection for the person and whatnot but Mm -hmm. i a while back, I had a client who I worked with one-on-one in their home for about a year. And this this individual was around, I want to say 17, 18 years old, like young adult, older teenager, definitely adolescent. They used AAC to communicate. And it had been recently provided to them within the past like, couple of months because they're their child was non-speaking and the education and the assistance they got from, you know, professionals or whatever, um, led them to believe that their kid, because he was non-speaking, wasn't able to comprehend or understand the world around them. And at 18, they gave AAC a shot and they found out that, uh, no, he knew everything that was going on, everything. He just didn't have a way of communicating with the outside world and it was this this barrier that was put in his place and when i worked with him i was helping him actually write an autobiography because of all of the experiences that he had of uh i don't know if he ever finished a book i only worked with him for about six months but he um incredibly intelligent and remembered everything everything that people had said around him that they thought he couldn't understand what he was saying they thought that he had a profound intellectual disability. No, the, the kid was like a genius. He was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He was like really into math and like no one knew. And like he was able to like figure out quadratic formulas at like a very young age without like any sort of education on that. He was a brilliant, brilliant guy. And 
it kind of changed my perspective on like the the use of language of being incredibly shallow. And while I'm not non-speaking, I do have moments where I, you know, through high stress where I go non-verbal. And to have that permanently and then to have I'm not it's not like an inspiration kind of thing. I'm I'm not saying that. It's more of like pointing out a fundamental error of like, you know, discrediting individuals as as having, you know, not the ability of self-autonomy, right? And that he's a perfect example of that. But then to have that as an experience of he told me that he wishes that no one was able to use words because they're so incredibly shallow because once that that ability has never been developed of, of like uh, of that that being part of his disability and not he's had to compensate in other ways and the ability of being to see through uh the shallowness of using words he was able to see like you know a lot of it is very much full of bs that people around him like will say things and say things and act in a completely different way and it really made me think it changed my perspective on like how do we communicate and i think that for autistic people the most important thing and one of the things i'm always clamoring for when i'm talking to other people is like please just say what you mean like there's no need for subtext i'm not using any so why do you use any with me just say what you mean and non-autistic people i think find that a lot more difficult they they have to add layers of that whether it's through protection or anxiety or you know just social constructs i I don't know. I don't get it. You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if non-autistic people can stop themselves. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but but yes, definitely cultural differences. Certainly, right. With in terms of communication. Yeah. I think we talked about that last time I met with you. We talked about like autistic culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So. Yeah, definitely a big part of it. It's yeah. uh, it's it's really interesting to me to see those like. From my own perspective and like what I write about when I communicate and engage with people such as yourself or people in our community is that we have this very strong sense of solidarity with each other. You know, the whole reason I do what I do is because I know it gives people validation. They feel seen when I when I share my experiences. But not only that, but I feel seen when they feel seen. It's they're, I'm validated through their validation of me giving them validation. It's a very like cyclical, synergetic relationship. And I think that that is something that is a huge blessing to us because I think any marginalized and disenfranchised community has the sense of like solidarity because they know how badly they've been screwed over, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of creates this Venn diagram of intersectional like strength between all marginalized communities, especially those who are like autistic and queer and by POCs that... There's interlinking factors that give us all the ability to kind of encourage each other and see ourselves in each other. And when you have individuals who are even further outside the fringe of that, it kind of gives us an opportunity to see ourselves in a perspective that we may not normally have the opportunity to. And I think that's a perfect way to end things, Danny, uh, for today, for now. Thanks so much for joining me. I loved uh, every minute of our conversation today. Likewise, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Danny for the conversation. To learn more about Danny, please check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. At Autism Personal Coach, we provide customized coaching for autistics. All of our coaches are either autistic or autistic selected for their commitment to trauma-informed and neurodiversity-affirming strategies. Our coaches deeply understand burnout, 
sensory needs, executive functioning, and the importance of special interests. If you're interested in learning more about our coaching, please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.